It's the Easter Sunday Great Debate with Brian Edwards, Bill Craig and Kerry Woodham on News Talk ZB. ZB, welcome on in this Easter Sunday morning. You're with Kerry's Cafe and we have a very special event for you this morning. It is the Great Easter Debate featuring Dr. Brian Edwards and from Atlanta, Dr. Bill Craig. And the moot for this debate, does God exist? No mucking around. We're going straight to the big question, does God exist? Now, Dr. Bill Craig is a research professor at the Talbot School of Theology in Atlanta, America. He has doctorates coming up the wazoo, basically. He has them in philosophy, theology. He's authored more than a dozen books, including The Historical Argument for the Resurrection of Jesus and Assessing the New Testament Evidence for the Historicity of the Resurrection of Jesus, which, of course, makes him the perfect choice to take the affirmative position in this debate that, yes, God does exist. Bill, good morning. Good morning, Kerry. Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you too. And playing the devil's advocate, quite literally. (laughs) (laughs) The devil's advocate is usually a Catholic believer, so that's not entirely appropriate. Yes, yes. Is your old foe, Dr. Brian Edwards, he too has, well, a doctorate anyway, isn't it? Not not thousands, but certainly a perfectly acceptable doctorate. I'm I'm outgunned in the the doctorate department. (laughs) (laughs) But you're just as fervent in your beliefs, except that you believe that you're a non-believer. That's right. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. In fact, Brian believes the whole thesis that lies behind Easter is in fact silly. Well, silly is not a word I would really use because I do respect other people's uh, beliefs. Uh, I think the last time Bill and I had this debate, I made the point that my mother was a, a firm believer in God and her faith mm-hmm. was enormously important to her and I would say probably sustained her throughout her life. Um, but as I got older, I, I stopped sharing uh, that belief. But I also realize that some form of religious belief is of enormous comfort to huge numbers of people. And so, in spite of the fact that this is the second time Bill and I have done this debate, I really have no particular interest in, in persuading people to abandon their faith. I don't, I don't want people to do that. In fact, I think in many ways it, it, it's really great to have some sort of religious belief. Mm. So, um, but my starting point is quite simply that um, I don't believe that there is evidence of the existence of some sort of divine entity. Before we get into the debate, Bill, is it important to you to make people like Brian believers? Well, I, or are you? I think all of us are searchers after truth, and therefore I find it odd that Brian would say he doesn't care whether people believe this delusion or not. I, I think it's vitally important as seekers after truth that we do try as best as we can to come to believe what is true about life and the universe. So whichever way the truth falls, I think that's what we should be concerned about. And I would like to ask Brian a question of clarification on his position, if I might. Sure. Um, you said you don't believe that there's sufficient evidence for the existence of God. I wanted to know, though, would you be defending an atheist position 
today or an agnostic position? Mm. I, I've never really understood the distinction here. If I, if I look up in my dictionary, I find an atheist defined as someone who does not believe in the existence of God. I think it would be foolish for anyone to say they could disprove the existence yeah. of God. I mean, the whole Well, I don't think that is the, the traditional definition of an atheist. If you look in a, uh, an encyclopedia or dictionary, it will say that an atheist is someone who believes that God does not exist. That's right. So it is, it's different from an agnostic who doesn't know whether God exists or, or not. The agnostic just says, I don't know the answer, but the, the theist says God does exist. The atheist says there is no God. Now, I was wondering, are you taking that stronger position that there is no God, or are you simply taking the uh, softer uh, agnostic position? I really don't see the, the point of this uh aspect of debate at all, I still can't see the difference. Um, my position is very simple. I don't believe that God exists. And as I said, I think you would be, would be foolish to say you could prove that God doesn't exist. Um, I, if you want me to say I strongly don't believe that God exists, no. I strongly don't believe that God right. exists. Oh, all right. Okay. But, but, but my view very simply is that neither of us could prove anything. I mean, this is all in the end a matter of belief. All right, all right, so that's and agnosticism. You shall have your, you shall have your opportunity there. No, that's atheism. Atheism. <laughs> <laughs> he strongly believes. No, that's agnosticism. Okay, Brian will define it as he says fit. Bill, you can you can argue your case from from whichever, um, however strongly you want to do that. Now you will have five minutes to argue your respective cases. Perhaps in the early stages you can concentrate on your own cases, and then mm-hmm. when we go into dialogue, you'll be able to perhaps narrow down interpretations, pull one another up mm. on, on interpretations. You can engage in the dialogue. Um, now, we would ask that listeners listen very closely to the arguments from, from both our speakers because later in the hour we'll be asking you to vote for whichever speaker you feel put their case most convincingly. Try and keep your own personal beliefs out of it. It may That's be difficult. <laughs> that, that, that is absolutely impossible. And no, no. One, no one who believes in God is going to objectively assess these arguments. And say, and say, gosh, Brian, what a very good case <laughs> to deny everything upon which I build my life. Yes. The winner of the debate will donate $2,002 to a charity of their choice. So we'll just be voting for the merits of the arguments. Now, the moot is, to remind you, does God exist? It's a question that has confounded mankind for millennia, still relevant today. In this week, for instance, we've had people arguing on talkback that the shops should be open today, that... Business people who don't believe in God should not be deprived of the opportunity to make money simply because there are some people who do believe in God and who insist that the entire country comes to a standstill in honour of their beliefs. We've got wars still being fought in God's name. Mostly. We've seen the results of conflicts of religious beliefs. If God does exist, then surely he could have given us an update, perhaps to clear the matter up. So we will begin the debate in just a moment. There's a stopwatch running because we know the two of you are type A personalities who are probably (laughs) more than capable of talking to this moot for the rest of the day. So the time limit will be strictly adhered to. Dr. Bill Craig, does God exist? Your time starts now. All right, Kerry. As um, travelers along life's way, our goal is to try to make sense out of uh, life and the universe. And I'll leave it up to Brian to present any reasons that he thinks uh, atheism makes more sense out of life in the universe. If he's going to defend that rather than agnosticism, he needs to give us some positive reasons for believing that. But I want to present five facts that I think uh, theism makes better sense of than atheism. And these facts would be these. Number one, the existence and origin of the universe. 
Number two, the fine-tuning of the universe for intelligent life. Thirdly, the existence of objective moral values in the world. Fourth, the historical facts concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And fifth would be the immediate personal experience of God himself. Let me just say a word about each of these. First, the existence and origin of the universe. This is the ultimate question, why something exists rather than nothing. And up until the 20th century, the atheist answer as to why the universe exists has simply been that the universe is eternal and uncaused, and that's all. I think there are deep philosophical problems with that, with the idea of an infinite past, but I'll go over those, or pass those by in interest of time and simply say that that atheistic hypothesis has confronted a real crisis in the 20th century with the development of modern cosmology. According to the standard Big Bang model of the universe, the universe is not eternal and uncaused in its existence. Rather, the universe came into being about 15 billion years ago at a point before which literally nothing existed. And thus, the uh, origin of the universe out of nothing, I think, is a signpost of transcendence pointing beyond it to its ground in a transcendent and supernatural creator. I think that the existence of God makes far better sense of the origin of the universe than the atheistic hypothesis that it just popped into being uncaused out of nothing. Secondly, the fine-tuning of the universe for intelligent life. During the last 30 to 40 years, scientists have been stunned by the discovery that the Big Bang had to be fine-tuned to an incomprehensible precision in order to permit the evolution and existence of intelligent life. Um, and there is simply no way to explain the existence of these finely tuned cosmological quantities and constants that are just given in the Big Bang as initial conditions. And again, it seems to me to make much more sense that uh, this is the product of intelligent design than to say the universe, when it popped into existence, uncaused out of nothing, just happened to be fine-tuned for the existence of intelligent life with a, uh, a, a precision that literally defies comprehension. Third fact would be the existence of objective moral values in the world. By objective moral values, I mean uh, moral values that are not dependent upon human opinion or human convention. For example, to say the Holocaust was objectively evil is to say that it was evil even though the Nazis who carried it out thought that it was good. And my argument here is that if God does not exist, it's very hard to see how moral values could be objective in that sense. On the atheistic view, moral values are just the spin-offs of sociobiological evolution or expressions of personal taste. And it seems to me that that's not what they are, that we recognize that some things are truly evil, other things are truly good. And if that is the case, that there are objective moral values, then God must exist as an objective ground and anchor for those values. Fourth point would be the historical facts concerning the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate at Easter. It's a remarkable fact that most New Testament scholars who have investigated the historical Jesus agree on four facts. Number one, that he died by crucifixion. Two, that his grave was thereafter found empty on Easter morning by a group of women followers of Jesus. Thirdly, that uh, the disciples thereafter experienced appearances of Jesus alive from the dead. And fourth, that the disciples' lives were transformed from despair and doubt into being bold proclaimers of the resurrection of Jesus. And I know of no better explanation of those facts than the one that these men themselves gave, that God raised him from the dead, 
and that obviously entails that God exists. And, and my last point, the fifth point, is the immediate personal experience of God himself. God, for me, is a living reality that I came to experience uh, as a teenager in high school for the first time. And in the absence of defeating reasons for atheism, I, I think I'm perfectly rational to hold to my belief in God on the basis of that immediate experience. That is the case for the affirmative. Time now to turn to the negative. Dr. Brian Edwards will argue God does not exist. And I probably don't need my five minutes, actually, so we'll, we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll give that to, to Bill. I suppose there's another issue, and that is where is God today? And that, to me, is a, is a very critical issue. I mean, the vast majority of the things, with the exception of his last point, which he makes about his personal experience, all of those points that Bill makes are historical in a sense. You know, the, these are speculative arguments based on ideas from, from the past. Um, and I'm really probably more interested in where God is today. And to believe in God, I suppose I would have to suspend my everyday rational judgment. I'd have to believe in an entity which I cannot experience empirically. That's to say, an entity I can't experience with my senses. I can't see God, can't hear God, can't feel God, can't taste God, and so on and so forth. And we normally treat people who claim that something exists which can't be experienced with the senses as deluded or mad. That's what we normally do. If, if I were to go into the street and say, um, have a look at this object here, and nobody else could see it, they'd all say, you're nuts, wouldn't they? I mean, that's, that's how people would deal with it. Um, and, and so it seems to me that God, in a sense, comes into the same category as creatures from outer space. Many people believe in the existence of such creatures, but there's no current evidence to support that belief. And this doesn't mean... Uh, that such creatures don't exist. Um, but it does mean that we can't do anything more than speculate on their existence. And it seems to me, with the exception of his last point, the point which he makes about his personal experience, and you know, no one can deny that, we could possibly rationalize it. We could say, well, I'm interested, for example, that you, that you came to this belief in God when you, were, when you were 16. This is terrible time, you know, when we're all struggling with masturbation, guilt, and we feel terrible about ourselves. Um, and, and we're looking for some greater uh, meaning. And uh, that sounds an offensive thing to say to Bill. I don't mean it to sound that, but this is a, a commonplace. I remember myself when I was 15 or 16 going along to a, uh, uh, a salvationist meeting you know, with an American evangelist called Bill Schuler and being saved. And looking back on it afterwards, I realized what it was driving here was guilt. I was driven by guilt. In any way, in general, I find the whole idea of some divine entity floating around in nothingness then deciding, that's an interesting concept, you know, what, what was God doing before? Well, we, we are in agreement on the Big Bang, of course. Uh, the two of us don't have any disagreement about that. About that. that that's an accepted fact. And we're obviously in agreement in ev on evolution, though clearly there's been quite a shift in Christian thinking on evolution from, from when it originally seemed to be enormously threatening to now it seems to be part and parcel of this whole design. That in itself is an interesting thing, that, that God's design has taken so long to get to the point it's at today. I mean, we start with nothingness, uh, then we have the Big Bang, then we have this enormously long period, millions of years before we have life, then, we, then, then that uh, develops into human life. It seems a, a curious sort of design to me that, you know, you design to get to this perfect being, or this semi-perfect being, man. Uh, we have to go through this extraordinary thing from life coming out of the primordial slime right up to the apes and right, and right down to us. It's, as a designer, it seems to me rather strange. I might have gone more quickly to the final product myself, but however. So, um, and then uh, the difficulty of believing that having created the universe and populated, and why, why this particular little speck is another interesting part. You know, why, why the earth? That seems strange to me. 
then expecting uh, these uh, human beings who have been long-term created to behave in certain ways, to reward them if, they, if they're good, to punish them if they're bad. The whole thing to me, in spite of these sophisticated theological arguments that Bill has put forward, the whole thing to me seems to be so improbable as to be ludicrous. And um, so I guess that's where I stand or sit. All right, that's the case for the negative. We will engage in dialogue. Bill will have the opportunity to rebut Brian. Brian will have the opportunity to rebut Bill, and I'll have the opportunity to climb all over both of them, and we'll mm -hmm. do that in just a moment. That's me in the corner. News Talk ZB, you're with Kerry's Cafe. The great debate is underway. Does God exist? Dr. Bill Craig opened with the affirmative. Dr. Brian Edwards has just given the negative viewpoint. Brian, you didn't address the objective moral values. Well, I don't believe there are any objective moral values. I you think don't think some things no, are inherently no, bad? No, no. The concept of God as providing objective moral values, uh, well, firstly, of course, depends on your believing that God exists, but all it really means is that uh, there is a being out there who's got a bigger stick than anyone else. Um, and uh, I've never believed that there were objective moral values. I think we've come to general agreement in society that certain things are acceptable and certain things are unacceptable. And I think we internalize the values that we learn from our parents and from others when, when we are young. Um, but if there were objective moral values, then they would be universal, and they're clearly not universal. I mean, if you think of uh, um, the, take for example, I don't know whether there are any left these days, but if you think of the cannibal, the cannibal kills and eats people and clearly doesn't think it's bad. I mean, we had, uh, the Maori were cannibals, um, and so we're not going back very far, are we? Going back a couple of hundred years, we had cannibals in New Zealand. They clearly didn't feel a sense of, a bad sense of conscience, about killing and eating their enemies. It was only once the missionaries arrived and said, oi, this is not a good idea, that uh, that, that changed. So, I mean, in a sense, it seems to me that's quite a potent argument against the idea of objective moral values. I don't believe any such thing exists. There, there are generally agreed moral values, but they're not objective, they're subjective. Bill? Well, I think that's the consistent atheist position, and I, I'm glad that Brian is at least consistent, but I hope our listeners understand exactly what he's saying. He's saying that there's nothing objectively wrong with acts like rape, uh, child abuse, racism, torture, discrimination, that if you torture an innocent child for fun, 
that the psychopath who does that does nothing objectively morally wrong. Now, I think that's correct on the atheistic view. On the atheistic view, the blind cosmic juggernaut of evolution cares nothing for us uh, infinitesimal little gnats that it crushes under its uh, wheel. But if the listeners do agree with me that there are some things in the world, at least, that are objectively wrong and other things that are objectively good, like love, generosity, self-sacrifice, and so forth, then they'll agree with me that, that God must exist. So it's just going to be up to the listener as to whether or not they accept their moral intuitions that there do exist objective moral values. And by the way, I just want to add, objectivity doesn't necessarily imply universality, because uh, there can obviously be people whose moral intuitions or senses are warped and who therefore don't clearly perceive uh, certain moral values. I think, for example, National Socialist Germany was like that. There was an ethic in place in Nazism that was terribly morally distorted. But that doesn't mean that therefore there are not objective moral values, that the Holocaust wasn't really evil. Well, I have to say that I think that's a piece of sophistry and rather emotive sophistry to suggest that I don't think uh, that the things that were done by the Nazis or that I don't think that cruelty to children or abuse uh, is, is wrong and undesirable. But my, what I'm saying to you is that as it remains essentially a subjective view, a widely held subjective view, but nonetheless a subjective view. What we're talking about here is, if you like, a philosophical point that out there somewhere, which is what you're saying, as I understand it, out there somewhere, written in stone, um, are, are certain moral values. And I'm saying I don't believe that is the case. Um, the case is, I believe, that, that most of us derive these values from our parents, from society at large, from the state at which our society is in at a current point. Um, if there were indeed objective moral values and had been from the start, uh, then you wouldn't expect any great shift in moral values in society, but quite clearly there have been enormous shifts in moral values. Mm. We don't treat people in the year 2002 the way they were treated in Victorian times, uh, the way they were treated in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, Chris Christians went around uh, uh, during the Crusades thinking it was fine to torture, murder, and kill your, your enemies. So, I mean, quite clearly, moral values over the years have changed and become increasingly sophisticated. That, to me, seems to be evidence that they are not objective, that they are developing subjective, cultural, social. Um, I think that's a confusion, Brian, because the question of how we learn or apprehend moral values is a question of knowledge, but the question of whether or not moral values are objective or not is a question of existence. The the gradual and fallible apprehension of moral values no more undermines the objectivity of those values than our gradual, fallible apprehension of the physical world undermines the objectivity of the physical world. So I don't think that's at all a good refutation, but I think we do agree on this point that if atheism is true, then there are no objective values. And I just want the listeners to understand as long, how as long as, as radical long as a position yes, that is. Yes. As long as you understand that to mean... That written in the sky somewhere, there are no uh, sorry, right, that it's uh, a matter tablets of stone, tablets of stone that have come down from God. That's not, that's not the case. People have enormously uh, differing perceptions of, of right and wrong. Right, and, you, and on many, your view, and none of them is, is better than the other. They're uh, all equally conventional. It's like driving on the right-hand side of the road in the United States versus driving on the left-hand side in Great Britain. It's just a convention. 
it's not something that was handed down to us by God. That's which I assume is what you're trying to say. Yes. It's not out there. I mean, I can only repeat this. It's not out there right. written in stone. It's cultural. Um, right. and, and we've reached a point in society uh, where there is widespread agreement on what is right and what is wrong. And I, like anybody else, subscribe pretty well to, to the norms in that. The other point too, Bill, is that um, there doesn't seem to be one static Christian viewpoint. It's had to become fluid. It's had to change and adapt as, as science has become more sophisticated. With respect that, to moral values, Carrie? With res- well, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that's true. Female circumcision is the norm in some parts of Africa. I mean, we wouldn't in Muslim countries. Here. That's never been the norm among Christians. Christian. That's a Muslim practice. So in you're Africa. saying that not only does God exist, God does exist, but some gods are better than others. Well, I was about to ask that. I mean, are you here to espouse uh, or to defend the proposition that God exists, or to say that the Christian God is the right God? I thought uh, you, the, was the, the the moot would be that does God exist? God and has all here completely right, but that doesn't mean I, that doesn't mean that I have to defend every religion's concept of God. As a Christian theist, I believe that the God of the Bible exists. So you can't attempt to get me to defend practices as abominable as female circumcision, but, but which is something that is practiced in Muslim countries but never enjoined by the but Bible. But these are believers in God as well, Bill. Right, and they're incorrect in saying that female circumcision ah. <laughs> is something that is, is either obligatory or even moral. On the contrary, it's on your view, Brian, that this is a culturally relative practice that cannot be condemned because... That's it's not just conventional. That's not, that's not my view. At sure no it point is. In the, it it's is not. At no point in this conversation have I said that these things could not be condemned. I do they can't be obje- not as objectively wrong. You can't condemn it as objectively wrong. It, to, to me, from my subjective cultural yes. viewpoint, right. it is wrong. And yeah, and from the Muslim added, point of view, that's it's right. right. <laughs> that's right, and that's surely that's making my point. There is. If there were this, uh, you know, you can't, we can't suddenly decide we're going to talk purely about the Christian God uh, we're talking about God. Uh, God, who has apparently handed down these objective moral values, seems to have got people a bit confused because one group of God believers believes this and one, another group of God believers believes that, and they have entirely different consciences, don't they? Not entirely, no, but they certainly well, disagree well, just, on Hold on a minute. Point. I mean, how, how entirely, much more entirely different can it be for one uh, group of believers to think that female circumcision is acceptable and for another not to think it's acceptable. What could possibly be more different? Where are the objective, uh, handed-down moral rules from God that ought to be affecting all these people? Well, I think, for example, the rules laid down in the Ten Commandments would be objective moral values, or the intrinsic value and dignity of human beings is something that is... Well, we've got huge problems. Well, haven't we got huge problems there as well? Which bits are we going to believe? Uh, I don't know what the situation is in America, but I imagine it's much the same as it is here. The Christian church itself is enormously divided as to which bits of the scriptures are to be taken uh, literally and which bits are not to be taken literally. That, if that, I talk to Professor Lloyd Gearing, our most prominent uh, uh, advocate of the, what you might call the more liberal view of, of Christianity, I will get an entirely different version of which bits of the Bible I should believe and which bits not of the Bible I Not with respect to I, moral I values. Believe. Not with respect to moral no, values? No, I, I think you're, 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 that's a red herring that you're introducing here. I mean, the, and besides, as I say, these are questions But, but about the moral values, I, I raised that point, Bill, because you referred me to the Bible and to the Ten Commandments. Am yes. I supposed, is that a bit of the Bible I'm supposed to believe and follow or not? Yes. All of it? 
Well, yeah, I mean, in, insofar as uh, the Ten Commandments or the the, the uh, moral principles laid down there, yes. But they're very confusing, aren't they? What about graven now, images? I mean, no, what, what, is, what does that tell us? That tells us that you should not uh, practice idol worship. What about uh, honoring your father and mother if your father and mother are abusive parents? You shouldn't uh, do anything that would be uh, contrary to the other commands of God. Uh, and that you would mean... Turn the other, you should turn the other cheek to your... Um, to your no, wait, Brian, you're... you're uh, not, not in the sense of, you know, being beat up by them, no. But the point is, these are questions of applied ethics that you're raising now, Brian, about how do you apply these more principles. But the question I'm raising is the deeper one, is are there any objective moral values? And I think we agree that on atheism... There are none whatsoever. Anything goes. And so I'm just saying that if listeners disagree with that, then they cannot be atheists. They will recognize that there has to be a transcendent foundation for those values. We'll move on from the objective moral values. The immediate personal experience of God. Brian, a lot of people have experienced God. A lot of people all over the world feel that they have experienced God. Miracles happen on a daily basis. How do you account for that? Well, I don't believe that miracles happen at all, of course. I mean, things that people may perceive to be miracles um, appear to happen, but I don't believe that they are miracles. As an atheist, obviously, I must believe that there is some rational explanation, which uh, we may not be able to discover. I mean, we don't know everything. Um, I've never seen it. Have you seen a miracle, uh, Kerry? I believe so. Have you? Yeah, I do. I think I think the birth of a child is a miracle. The birth of a healthy child is a miracle. Oh, but that, but that's no a different that's a different meaning of the word miracle. That that means the birth of a child is something extraordinary and wonderful and no, brilliant. And the, no, uh, the fact the, the fact that a child can be delivered without a single flaw or imperfection, given everything that could possibly go wrong. But that's not. I mean, I think even Bill would agree. That's not the normal definition of a miracle. A miracle is some. A miracle is some. A unexplained event, some event that has, has no rational explanation, which nonetheless well, uh, happens. Well, not, a, not no rational explanation. It would be an event that couldn't be explained by natural laws. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll agree I'll on that. I take a liberal <laughs> definition of miracle. Every day I draw breath and the sun is shining yeah. as a miracle. Well, I think one of the things that you have to accept really is that you cannot underestimate, or overestimate rather, you cannot overestimate the effect of the conditioning we have in our early lives and from our parents. You look at the moment at the things that are happening in the Middle East. Look at these suicide bombers. Uh, this extraordinary situation that someone believes, genuinely believes, obviously, or you wouldn't do it, that it is, is, is acceptable to strap some, a bomb to your body and go into a cafe somewhere in Jerusalem and kill lots of people and kill yourself. And at the end of all of that, partly because or largely because you did that, you are going to, be in, you are going to go to heaven. Uh, now, those people quite clearly all believe that it's absolutely irrational in every possible way, and yet they strongly believe it. So, sadly, the fact that people believe things, even the fact that millions of people over the years have believed something, really doesn't tell you anything at all about the validity of what they believe, or even the validity of what they claim to have experienced. The fact of the matter is, I, I guess, that there are probably more non-believers in the world than there are believers. So I suppose no, that's want not to, true. Is that not true? No, I mean, I, demographically, I, I, there's probably yeah. about 19% of the world's population that would be classed as non-religious. What about in the Western world? In, in the West, it would be much higher, of course. Yeah. Mm. But, I mean, 
doesn't that sort of... But it just doesn't... T- my point is, it just doesn't tell you anything. I mean, the fact... Well, and I didn't offer it. that as one of my arguments. No, that's no, I didn't not. offer an argument based on popularity. No. Uh, no, but why, why is the church losing ground in the Western world? Why are they finding it harder and harder, and these are all the churches, to hold on to their people? When you, now, that's a sociological question. And when you look at the church denominations that are declining today in the West, it, are, it, it is those who have attempted to accommodate themselves to secularism, uh, to liberal theology, whereas those that have remained true to the biblical proclamation are increasing. And that's just a sociological fact. And uh, I think that what you're seeing is these mainline denominations increasingly marginalized as uh, conservative biblical Christians uh, become more and more uh, a larger percentage of the Christian population. Have you read the latest Time magazine, Bill? It's the one about uh, the abuse of children, the widespread abuse of children by priests in the Catholic Church. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, okay. Well, now, if you, if you have a look in there, you'll see that the uh, Catholic Church is facing enormous problems at the moment because it can no longer recruit an, enough priests to right. act in the ministry. Right. Uh, extraordinary. Now, that presumably comes among the enormously conservative branches of religion that you're referring to. No, I, I don't think that's true. Take a country like, like Brazil, for example. Their Protestantism is just exploding in that nominally Catholic country, and the church there, the Catholic church, is in crisis because, as you said, they can't attract priests and, and so forth. Very often... You find in some of these Latin American countries that Catholicism becomes blended with a kind of paganism and, and native beliefs, a kind of Christo-paganism, or uh, liberation theology espousing leftist political causes. But those conservative denominations that have remained true to biblical orthodoxy are growing by leaps and bounds in Latin America, in China, yes. in, in uh, South Asia, uh, um, and in the, even in the West. Can we come back to God for a moment? Yeah, I think um, we're kind of getting on. Yes, the track. we have. You're Sorry, we, I, I like it. I no, like it. Was probably, that was my fault. That's the moderator's fault. I blame myself. And I probably <laughs> talk too much. So I, can I ask you some, uh, just a couple of questions, Bill? All right. So you, you've got God there at, before anything. Um, that seems to be your position. What was what was God doing before He started all this off? Um, what was He think? What was He thinking about? Uh, with whom or what did he have any dialogue? What did he do? What was his day? Yes. I, well, mean, I mean, these may sound like silly questions. It seems no, no, these are absolutely... philosophical questions okay. on the contrary. <laughs> yeah. And it's important to understand that time and space themselves come into being at the moment of the Big Bang so that this transcendent personal creator exists literally timelessly. Uh, he, he isn't before the Big Bang because there isn't any before time. Uh, time begins at the Big Bang. So the, the question, what was God doing before creation, becomes meaningless because there isn't any before. But in terms of dialogue, Christians... Uh, so help me, though. Uh, well, when you say, did, did God not exist before creation? Did God come into existence at creation? No, because God would exist timelessly. He transcends so, well, time and brings yes. time and space into being. Yeah. Whereas on so the God, And God view, is what? Whereas on the atheistic view, the universe just inexplicably pops into existence uncaused out of absolutely nothing, which I think is worse than magic. 
But surely that is no more, <laughs> no more difficult to understand. I mean, that's difficult to understand to begin with. I couldn't agree with you more. I think yes. we all find this whole idea absolutely mind-boggling. But if that is mind-boggling, isn't it even more mind-boggling to imagine that, just for the moment, except my word before, uh, right, before, in that, converted before that, in inverted commas, before that happened, there was some sort of divine creature there who had existed outside of time, I mean, most of us, I guess, would say forever, or however you want to... Yeah, it wouldn't be it. forever, it would be timelessly. Well, timelessly. Where did, where did God come from? Well, but don't you see, Brian, once you say that God exists timelessly and spacelessly, he transcends time and space, the question, where did he come from, is meaningless, because... But, but, there once, is... you use, but once you use words like timelessly, um, you really, you've already moved outside human understanding, haven't you? No, I, I don't think so. Philosophers discuss these sorts of things all the time. In fact, many philosophers think, for example, that mathematical objects like numbers or sets or propositions have a timeless sort of existence. So this is not an uncommon way of, of speaking. But the, the point is, I think, that you were wrong when you said, is God some sort of a divine creature? No, just the opposite. He is the creator, and God is an infinite omnipotent, uh, timeless, uh, unembodied intelligence which created the universe. Using, using his, his is a word we seem to be using this morning, using his intelligence to do what and for what purpose to, well, in, one, in creating one, all of this? One manifestation of the tremendous intelligence of the creator of the universe is the fine-tuning of the initial conditions of the Big Bang no, no, for no, intelligent you, so you, life. No, sorry, you you've, moved, you've moved one ahead there. Well, yeah, okay, I have, but you asked me. Excuse me, think about the answer while I give out the numbers, which I'll do in just a moment. Easter's great because of all the chocolate Easter eggs. And you get to have a holiday. No school. We celebrate Easter because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The hollow egg resembles the hollow tomb and the solid egg resembles him in the tomb. The best thing about Easter is eating chocolate with all your friends and having no school. The best thing about Easter is Good Friday, because it's good. <laughs> and you get chocolate on Sunday. The best thing about Easter is being able to sleep in every morning. Easter's about, like... Yeah, it's about when like Jesus was buried and stuff, and um, it's about chocolate and Easter, Easter eggs, and Jesus is good, chocolate is good! The Great Easter Debate continues, but you have your chance to vote, and you can start voting now. If you wish to vote for Bill Craig, who believes that Yes, God does exist, you can phone 0900 20 it's 0900 To vote for Brian Edwards, who says, no, God does not exist, you can phone 0900 223 It's 0900 223 It's 75 cents per vote. Please just vote the mm. once. Kids, ask your parents first. Black mates, check with the person who pays the telephone bill. If you don't, God will know. And we'll announce the winner <laughs> a few minutes before noon. Where's to it? vote for Bill Craig, phone 0900 0900 to vote for Brian Edwards, phone 0900 See, the good Christians will all be honest and will only vote once. <laughs> but the immoral atheists will all vote several, several times. But what I just want to say, I think those good Christians should show Christian charity and should vote for the atheists. Hmm. Why? 
Well, just as a, as a, as well, a way sign of, of good faith. As a sign of good faith and Could turning be. the other cheek, of course. Speaking yeah. of signs of good faith, Bill, why hasn't God shown himself recently, or do you believe he has and we've just ignored the messages? Well, God has chosen a sort of interior way, I think. He manifested himself in history and the history of Israel and the calling of the, the Jewish people and then in the incarnation of his son and the resurrection of Jesus. But, but that not, was 2,000 right. years ago. And, and now God has chosen to work through the interior way of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think for those whose hearts are open to God and whose minds are open, they will sense the voice of God speaking to them. For example, when they hear uh, the message of Christ or the, the uh, preaching of the gospel, that God will work through uh, the ministry of his spirit. And this is, I think, far, far more effective than mere external miracles, bread and circuses, so to speak. Oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, we're, we're an era where we love the spectacular, we love the pyrotechnics, a good no. old pyrotechnic right, but God would that display win, and do the world a good. But would that, carry win your love for this pyrotechnic engineer? I'm, well, I'm it not was confident a, it was a critical. Would. It was a critical part of the uh, reason why so many people believed in Christ that he performed all of these miracles. So the pyrotechnics were obviously well, acceptable at, the, at, that, but, at that time, but no longer today. Yeah they, they, yeah, they followed him, but you know, these same crowds turned against him and demanded his crucifixion. They, the bread and circuses draw a crowd, but I don't think that that's necessarily the way to win people's but hearts. the resurrection well, was the ultimate bread and circus, surely. It was the ultimate it, miracle. It, it does give us, I think, historical grounds for believing that Jesus was who he, he claimed to be. But oh, well, that doesn't well, that's mean, something we discussed last time. Yes. So, well, let, let, me, uh, let but, me raise well, a question can we, here. Well, then. can we look at suffering for a moment? Well, I mean, that's, I, I that's a very raise, interesting area. If, if okay. I might raise a question now, yes. my turn. Yes. Yeah. Brian's main reason for not believing in God was that we shouldn't believe in an entity that you can't experience with your five senses. You can't yeah. see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, hear it. I think that's a, a completely false principle, that there's no reason to accept that kind of restriction. And I would point out a number of other things that we all believe in that can't be detected with the five senses. For example, the existence of time. Time is not something that you can smell, see, touch, taste, or hear, but we believe in time. Or well, love. Just, just no, wait, no, wait. Let me, no, 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 no. Love just proceed from one point. One no, point I'm giving several examples. Another, well, no, well, I have to deal with one example at a time. We'll be All right, remember well, then, them for one thing. What about the experience of time on your face? That's in, of course. Yes, we exactly. Experience. You see the effects of time, yeah. and thereby and that's you, experience. you infer that's from the effects to the cause. And that's exactly the kind of arguments that I've given here this morning. We see that fingerprints of God in his creation, and you infer back to this non-empirical entity from the empirical effects, just as we infer, say, the existence of time from its obvious effects. The leap is far too big. That's the difference between the two things. Uh, I have no difficulty at all in recognizing uh, the advance of time, as Kerry said, by looking at, well, not Kerry says, she still looks as young as she ever looked, <laughs> uh, but by looking at my own face in the mirror, and I can see, and by all the things that happen around us, we have watches, we know that time passes. Uh, there, there's no difficulty with that at all. We can experience love uh, in, with our senses. Uh, we can, I would suggest, I mean, it's probably too, we haven't got time to go into a, into a long list, uh, but all of these things I suspect you're about to tell me on the basis of the two you've given me are things which we can experience in some we may not actually no, see them first to vote can I just <laughs> remind people if you want to vote for Bill Craig phone 0900 20222 
0900 If you want to vote for Brian Edwards, who is saying that God does not exist, phone 0900 I'll just repeat those. To vote for Bill Craig, who says that yes, God does exist, 0900 To vote for Brian Edwards, no, God does not exist, phone 0900 If we can come back to the creator of all of this for a moment, which is what I think we're here to debate, um, what you have to understand, of course, is that the Creator, who by all definitions I've heard, all Christian definitions, is omniscient, omnipotent, and all these other things, um, really got it horribly wrong. One might have expected that uh, God would have known what was going to happen at the end of the day. And, of course, what we have now is a very flawed product indeed, haven't we? Uh, all the dreadful things that you refer to and uh, the evils in the world that we've seen mm-hmm. uh, all suggest some uh, dreadful miscalculation on the part of the Creator as to how things would turn out. Now, the answer I, I get when I, when I uh, say this is, uh, and look at the extraordinary suffering of innocent people, not just of guilty people, but of innocent mm-hmm. people. Uh, think of the recent earthquakes in Afghanistan. My God, these people have suffered enough already without this happening to them. Uh, the answer I get is, well, God doesn't interfere. Um, we have free will. God has given us free will and doesn't interfere. Um, And it occurred to me just thinking about this this morning that if that is indeed the case, then prayer becomes absolutely pointless and futile if God doesn't interfere to change things. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think that's right. And I I was surprised... You agree there's no point in prayer? I agree that if you say that God doesn't interfere, then there's no point in prayer. That's right. Uh, Prayer presupposes the existence of a God who is providentially active in human history. I think that's right. I don't think prayer is something that's sort of a meaningless, one-sided conversation. It's asking God, in many cases, to do things. And does he? Sometimes, yes. Uh, And that would be relevant to the problem of suffering, which I was surprised you hadn't actually brought up earlier, because I think this is the most powerful argument for atheism, is the the presence of uh, suffering in the world. I think this is... Uh, uh, an argument uh, really about the only good argument that the atheist has. But what I would want to say in response is that the atheist uh, doesn't know, nor can he prove, that God doesn't have morally sufficient reasons for permitting the suffering in the world. And 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 really the same, and the same is true of the believer, isn't it? That neither you nor I have the slightest idea what might be going on in God's mind. I think that, would be a, that would be an absolute presumption. Apart from divine revelation, us. I think that's absolutely right, Brian. From the world itself and the suffering... It makes your job very difficult as a theologian, doesn't it? No, because that's not the Christian view, that you can read off God's purposes and plans from the world around us. Our limited lives in time and space are far too brief to be able to read off the providential plan for yeah. human history from what we okay. see and experience. And I think right. that applies we, that to both agree. the theist and yeah. the atheist. All right, that we agree on. So really, you would be completely unable to answer my question. Why did God decide to do all of this? What was the purpose of all of this? Well, no, I, I N- think neither I, of us have any idea. No, I think I could give a broad sort of answer, but I could not answer, for example, why God allowed, say, your daughter to get leukemia and die as a child. I, no, I couldn't answer something like that. That would be... Because, therefore, the concept of God as a loving father, which is widely uh, portrayed in Christianity and some other religions as well, really doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, At best, 
the answering of prayer, for example, is arbitrary, isn't it? No, uh, I think... It's interesting. You watch, you watch, if you watch the news, you know, there's some ghastly disaster, mm. and you're invariably seeing people who, who uh, survive saying, you know, I thank God that I was, that I was sure. saved, or I thank God for saving me, while they don't think about the person down the street who no. God didn't save. Right, though, you know, those who die and go to heaven might be saying, thank God I died. Uh, Where do you believe you're going to end up, Brian? I, I believe I'll end up just back in the soil, the same as, uh, or cremated or whatever it might be. So all that energy and all that life force that made you you just disappears? Well, aside from uh, um, Bill's claim, of course, that there is historical evidence of the resurrection of Christ, no one, no one of all the millions, billions of people who have lived and died have ever, have ever returned. So, uh, again, a lot of my views are just, to me, commonsensical. It's commonsensical not to believe in an afterlife when there is no evidence of an afterlife. Well, not a physical afterlife, but what about a, something that we can't explain? Well, then we can't even talk about well, it. Well, I think there... I <laughs> we think can speculate. We're journalists. Carrie, <laughs> there is, though, good grounds for believing in a physical afterlife if Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, as Christians just believe. One. Pardon me. Well, I actually took the trouble before because we debated this last time, yes. Bill, and I read through all the accounts in the four Gospels yes. of, of the resurrection. And really, when you boil it down, it's a very slim piece of evidence indeed. It's, it's subjective accounts from a group of people um, who were already believers to begin with. Uh, and, and, you know, as evidence, it's slim. I, I, well, I, I think not. An empty tomb is not... Subjective evidence. This is publicly inspectable, empirical, physical data. So the the question is, how historically reliable are these accounts? And as I said, the majority of New Testament historians who have looked at these think that those four facts that I listed are historical facts about the historical Jesus that we can recover. How many people, I mean, help me here, how many people saw the risen Jesus? Well, the... Claims in the New Testament are that there were... No, no. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul mentions an appearance to 500 brethren at at one incident. So, I mean, there would be literally hundreds, and many of these, most of them were still alive. And about when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he was saying, in effect, you can go talk to them. You can... The witnesses are there to be questioned. So these are documents that come from within... The lifetime of the eyewitnesses within the well, first generation. Well, you're already about the third hand, aren't you? First, first of all, you were quoting from the Bible. Then you were quoting from St. Paul, I think you said. Uh, and, and St. Paul was supporting what other people told him uh, about an event that in modern times we would consider impossible. Can I, can I have from you, please, a 10-second closing statement? Brian, first. 10-second closing statement. 10 seconds. Ten seconds that's all you've got. Uh, well, I guess I can say my heart is obviously not open because according to Bill, if my heart were open, I would know all these things. But uh, I just don't believe there's any evidence. It goes against my common sense. Bill? Increasingly, philosophers are coming to believe in the existence of God. We're enjoying a renaissance in the world today, and I would encourage the reader or the listeners to simply pick up a New Testament and read it for themselves. All right, it's time to announce the winners. 202 of you rang in and voted for Bill Craig. Bill convinced you that indeed there was a God. Brian, 
<laughs> three? More no, than three. 117 people wow, rang not in. Bad, not bad. And said that you had put a very good case to say that God does not exist. It does mean that there is still a purpose to Easter. However, <laughs> certainly in New Zealand, that's for sure. Bill, which charity would you like to donate the $2,000? Well, I would like it to Rationalist go. Association no. of America. <laughs> no. The UCCF, which is the University uh, and Colleges Christian Fellowship or InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which works with university students in New Zealand and, and around the world. Lovely. Thank you. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Um, Bill, it's been lovely to it's talk to you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Kerry. Brian, lovely to talk to you again. Yes, and nice talking to you again, Bill. Yes, Brian, good to talk with you, and do have a happy Easter. Thank anyway. you. <laughs> and a happy Easter to you all, and thank you for your time. I hope you've enjoyed the debate. I thoroughly enjoyed sitting in on it. I'll see you back here on Tuesday night. In the meantime, have a great Easter weekend, whatever you believe. Love without forgetting me